What if you could build a business in the modern world as big or as small as you want without having to compromise the things that were the most important to you in the very beginning? This is the Wealthy Consultant Talks podcast with Taylor Welch and Mike Walker, as they share with you today their learning lessons from stories in their experiences over the past 10 to 15 years and share with you right here, right now. Let's get into it. All right, guys, what's up? Hey, we have a treat for you today. Uh, I'm on with legitimately uh, one of my favorite people to study and to read. This guy probably has no idea um, how much, maybe he does, but we're going to remind him today how much he's impacted the world of entrepreneurs, of uh, producers, families, uh, author, uh, Benjamin Hardy, who just came out with a brand new book, 10X is Easier Than 2X. And uh, man, I have so much to tell you and so much to ask you. And but first, I just want to say thank you for making the time out of your schedule. Dude, you're welcome. I'm. I actually am a legitimate fan of yours as well, and I like everything you say. And so, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm glad you like the work. And uh, these things are always more fun for me when they're like you actually have. You know, <laughs> this is your audience mostly, and so I'm excited to hear your thoughts on these things, and then I'll share whatever whatever makes sense. Yeah. Cool. I love it. Well, man, I'll just start at the top. Um, I read a book of yours that changed my life legitimately. Like it changed the trajectory of what I was doing. Uh, and it was a book several years ago. It's called Willpower Doesn't Work. You remember that mm, book? I do. Um, I don't know how long it took you to write it or how uh, deep you had to go into it, but I have bought hundreds of copies of that book. We have trained legitimately thousands of salespeople using uh, like, hey, buy this book, fix your environment. Um, and so you just got to know, dude, like we have pumped your your material to the ends of the earth. Not that you need the distribution, uh, but man, you have such a way of like cutting right to the heart of the matter. Uh, and so I've got like quotes and things to kind of ask you, but when did you start writing and how do you write so freaking many books? You were writing like one a year. There's two big questions right off the bat. So are you saying when did I start writing generally or when did I start writing Willpower Doesn't Work? When did you start writing books and how did you get so prolific? Um, I started writing books in 20, 28, 20, sorry, 2017 is when I started. Well, so I wrote my first ebook, which is actually this book, Slipstream Time Hacking. I wrote this before I ever started blogging. So there's like a 20,000 word book. I didn't okay. know what I was doing. So I wrote that in like, two months like it's uh, and i didn't know what i was doing i didn't I, so i wrote that in like january of 2015 and i didn't have a blog i didn't have a website i didn't have anything and i what just figured I could, what do you mean like were you working or were you just kind of i was in my first year as my phd program so i mean i oh, gotcha. my, okay. so my wife and i moved to clemson south carolina i went to clemson uh and didn't and i was in my first year of my phd program we had just gotten three foster kids and I actually wrote this right before we got the kids. But yeah, I was in my first year of my program. And so I was going to classes and I worked some crappy online campus, uh, some crappy campus job. And I was deep. Like, I mean, I was, I knew I was going to be a writer at that point in time very much. But I just, I wrote this. I actually remember writing a lot of it when my wife was gone. My wife like went on a, a trip with her family or something like that. And I stayed home to go to school and I wrote a huge chunk of it. Um, 
And so then I started to ask the hard questions, like, how do you get a publisher? How do you, how do you, whatever. And then I started to realize like, oh, I have to write, write blog posts and I have to build an on- online, like an email list and stuff like that. And so I blogged hardcore yeah. from 2015 to 2017. And then 2017 is when I wrote Willpower Doesn't Work. And that came out in 2018. How did that do? Like when you launched it, was it uh, Are you success? talking about Willpower? Willpower. Yeah. Not from my perspective. It was kind of like a trauma for a while. Cause like really? I, I had, I had like these, you know, um, probably impossible aspirations and my blogs were so successful. Like I was an insanely successful blogger and everything was just so easy. And then I, uh, you know, I launched, I mean, I'm glad you love willpower doesn't work. It's, it's cool to hear uh, your story. And, uh, you know, I still love that book a lot, but yeah, I, I expected it to just blow out of the gates. You know what I mean? And, and, and admittedly, like I have weird comps cause like James clear, obviously his book sold 15 million copies now, but like he and I, he, he was, he was blogging for years before me, but he actually read this book and loved it. And then he obviously was writing atomic habits for three years. And like, I just, I mean, I was blogging and I got my book deal and I ended up releasing my book before him. I, I, I probably spent like eight months writing Willpower Doesn't Work. Um, but I, because of my trajectory on the blogging, I just expected Willpower Doesn't Work would explode. Maybe not at the level Atomic Habits has, but I, you know, but, um, you know, and then, and then his book came out and it, it did blow up. And so I, I probably overly compared and stuff like that, but Yeah. Yeah, it's typical. There's it's all t- it's all timing. Like it was just weird timing too. I mean, I'm happy I did it, and I'm happy I continue. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, it's super interesting. I I love you talked in the new book, um, the the 10x book about how hard it was for James to go from writing short form to long form. Was that a challenge for you as well? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I'm still learning that. I mean, I would say that 10x is easier than 2x is the first book where. Like, and it's longer, like, you know, as a writer, but this one's like 75,000 words. My other books are probably closer to 50. Um, But this one is the one where I feel like I actually went truly deep, like, like really deep and tried to really craft it at a much higher level. When I wrote Willpower Doesn't Work, I was more of a blogger. So honestly, I wrote it like blogs, like even the chapters, uh, I kind of thought about more like blog posts. Yeah. Uh, When I messaged you, I think it was maybe like eight months ago. I was like, how you doing? You're like, man, I'm dying. It's like my stuck in the middle of like finishing the book. Uh, so I could tell you were deep, deep in it and wanting to get <laughs> my it wife was worried about me, man. I was redlining for a while. Man, have you heard like, have you heard uh, Robert Greene talk about his books? No, uh, he's like, cause you know, Robert Greene is like phenomenal. His book, his books are like 400,000 words. I mean, they're like Dude, tomes. They're insane. And uh, he's, he's given interviews and he's like, they, they, they almost kill me. Like I almost physically die in each one. I can say that I got kind of, I, I, I'm not as, ba- as bad as him, but yeah, I would say I was unhealthy for probably two months writing that book. Yeah. Like man. really unhealthy, not sleeping, uh, taking way too many stimulants. Like my wife's like, what the, like, come on. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that. I mean, by that, I mean, it's a uh, caffeine on, on overload, but yeah, she was, um, she was worried about me cause I just couldn't sleep and I'd wake up at like two in the morning and just go on a long walk, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, in in uh, I think it was like 2020, maybe or the end of 2019, because um, because I I built these massive sales teams, and uh, the old companies we have 600 700,000 recorded sales calls from those old organizations. I remember standing in front of uh, a group of 50 salespeople and teaching for the first time 
your principle of enriched enriched environments. And dude, it just blew people's minds. Like they had never heard of it before. Um, and the the idea of like the hero being the byproduct of the situation rather than it dude, this I'm surprised like people have got to read that book now and, and recognize the power of it. But it's such a central theme to building business because business is so hard. And people think it's easy and being an entrepreneur is cool, but it's probably like being an author. Everyone aspires to be you, but being in the middle of it, I mean, it's the hardest thing you could ever do is writing great work and building great businesses. Uh, and so it's it's really latched on to uh, our sales methodology. What was different about this book and why did you go so deep? I mean, I, I like, you know, what's so funny is, is like being so many books away from willpower doesn't work. I, I, I honestly, it's, it's very refreshing to hear you bring up some of those those ideas, honestly, like enriched environments and, and, yep. um, even the hero, uh, I, I, it's, I just want to say thank you. Cause like you're, you're bringing me back and it's actually bringing me a lot of joy. Uh, I think that the, here, here's kind of how I write is I, I write about the things that I don't necessarily, what willpower doesn't work. I wrote truly, I wrote that book for my younger brother. Uh, my younger brother is so my, you know, and I sort of talk about it a little bit, but when I was 11 and I'm the oldest of three, my parents got divorced and my father became an extreme drug addict. And mm. so my younger brother was nine and he went, he did not handle it well. Like for me, I think I just internalized it and I had good friends and like, I just, I don't know. I coped. Yeah. He got messed up. And, and, and ever since then he like, he still really struggles um, with so many things. And so that was a book that one I kind of wrote for him. I think I wrote personality isn't permanent for myself, but with ten, but but then after that, so like I think a lot of times when when someone's a writer, they're honestly writing like for their past. Um, but I shifted away and I started writing for my future. Um, you know, as things progressed, and I started writing the books that I I wanted to grow into. Like I was like, I don't fully get this, but I want to get it. I want to I, I want to become the master of this, but I'm nowhere near that, and I probably won't be after this book or after many. And so with 10X particularly, but even my other books, like it felt like an idea that like I had heard Dan talk about a little bit, but honestly, he had never honestly cleared the idea. It was not very clear from his teaching. And so I wanted to, I wanted to bite off more than I could chew and see if I could actually make this digestible, see if I could actually take this huge idea and actually like make it concrete. And, and so that was really my mindset there is I wanted to see if I could actually pull it off. You know what's so cool about that is there are so many people today who publish because the internet's made publishing easy. Anybody can say stuff. Um, but you seem to actually live by what you write about. Um, I try. <laughs> I, it reminds There's a quote in, um, I don't remember what book this was, but I prepared some quotes. It's, uh, good timber does not grow with ease. Stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. He said, uh, deep, not shallow water is what you should want to swim. And here you are actually chasing down uh the deep water and just jumping in you know oh you yeah live it. well you, yeah you i ever, try did you did you ever have a moment where you're like maybe this is a little bit too deep and uh i shouldn't have done all well of this. i'll tell you what happened with this book is i got so deep so i spent um i spent two months practically and it was right when it was bad timing so last summer June and uh, sorry, May and June, we were gone for almost two months of a family vacation. And it just nice. so happened that um, it, it was beautiful, but it actually was while we were gone, we were in Europe. And this is actually where I would learn so much about Michelangelo and stuff like that, um, which related to the 10X book. But while we were gone, my future self book came out and I 
literally did no launch. I literally did not launch the book <laughs> because I was gone and my publisher was like, they had huge hopes for that book. And I, I honestly didn't even launch it. Um, but um, what happened was, so, you know, in a big part of 10X is the idea of focus and recovery. And so like, I basically took two months of like pure recovery, pure expansion. Yeah. And um, like, I look at flow as immersion and expansion and immersion is like the deep focus. And then uh, expansion is like the deep recovery and like seeing new things. And so I had gone through this deep expansion and then I immersed myself like crazy for, for months to write the book. Um, but because I went so deep, it actually, it almost, the book almost didn't get written because I, I reached such a place of contradiction between the ideas of the book and, and honestly, my collaboration with Dan mm-hmm. that I was like, I reached out to them and I, and honestly, I, I said like, things need to change with this collaboration. And, and honestly, the book almost got like chopped blocked. Like it was almost like, okay, we're just going to walk away from this. And, um, I mean, this book was hanging on a thread to not be, to not be published. Um, but, 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 uh, I went so deep on it and I just was like realizing that, you know, for example, that relationship was 2X, not 10X. It was the past, not the future. And then I did so many, I created so many other changes because for me, it has to be experiential. Like I can't just be a ghostwriter for someone. Like if I'm going to write with you, like I have to fully know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, yeah, it, it changed a lot of things and created a lot of chaos. But for me, it was great because it did lead the book to going to a really hardcore place. Like if I hadn't had those conversations, the book would have been a lot more sterile. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's definitely not, not sterile at all. Um, it's interesting. The, the, the definition of flow you say is of immersion and expansion. So I have a model, um, that I teach in, internally and it's exposure leads to expansion, which is a similar idea. It's like the exposure to new things. Um, the exposure to new experiences. It's funny because last summer in June, I went on a 30, my first ever 30 day sabbatical. Where'd and you go? Uh, what'd you do? We did a stay. We just did a stay at home. We went to Florida Perfect. for a week. It was the first time I'd ever taken 30 days off of work. Um, and I read, uh, when did future self come out? I think I read it in June, June it came out in June. I read it as soon as it came out. And, uh, I was telling you this offline, but I'll say it now you have a story in the book. I think it's, mm, it's mm. the Victor Frankl story. Maybe he said, has said, go through your life as if you're living it for the second time. And the first time you lived it in the worst way possible. <laughs> And dude, I remember the road I was walking, reading that with my Kindle, trying not to get hit by a car. And you tell the story about pulling up to your front door and your daughter's there. You had a long day. I'm just here. I'm telling the story for you. I'm sorry, but it's... Yeah, no, I love it. And It's better that way. It's better that way, honestly. You're like, how would I live this the second time? You know, it would change. I would give anything to go back to when uh, she was this age. And man, I was literally walking on this road and I just start like literally tearing up. I'm like, that's my family. And that was a catalyst where I, I, after sabbatical, I completely let go of everything I was building. Just gave the keys <laughs> to a $40 million business away. Jeez. It started something new. And that was the catalyst point for me. I think it saved my family because I was, I was making sacrifices that were not good for the fam. Um, and man, it's such a crazy impact that you have by being a writer. Uh, and to think that you can, you can sit down and type into a, a computer and you can cause this ripple effect. I don't know if it's you crazy that it can cause someone like you, like who's got a $40 million business decision. You know what I mean? That's, that's the thing that blows me away for sure. Yeah. It's, you can't get that <laughs> anywhere else. You know, it is, it is a very interesting thing. And you and I were talking about just the, you know, 
it is kind of interesting because our whole world these days is information, but you know, it's still information still is very transformational. So yeah, it's very scalable. It's very interesting. It's a, uh, yeah, it, it's very humbling and it's very powerful. And I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm impacted every day by, by the right information. And that was why I wanted to be a writer in the first place was that I read certain books that freaking changed my life. And so I was just mm-hmm. like, man, this is interesting. I want to, I want to learn more about this. Yeah. hundred percent. I want to ask you uh, a question about the, the new season. Cause uh, I, I've taught people for a while, like and the phrase I've used is the new will destroy the old. This has kind of been a repeat theme. Like the, the number one thing that you have to do to go into the new season is you have to kill the old season in many cases. And when I read 10X, I was like, dude, this is like a Bible for me. I'm like, I'm reading. <laughs> uh, eight, you said, you said um, letting go of your 80%, 80% is letting go of your identity, your activities, your situations, your people. And it can feel like an enormous loss. Um, and it's highlighted because I'm like, man, I felt this so many times, dude, where I'm like, am I making the right decision? And you mentioned before you're heading into like practicing what you preach How's it feel? What's it look like? Uh, what are the challenges? Like maybe just walk us through that. Yeah, absolutely. So I look at every 10x, and 10x is honestly just a metaphor. It could be a metaphor for going through a through a you know from one level to the next. Um, I look at it truly like four seasons, and so like you know, there's a spring which is like where you know, you're growing massively and stuff like that. And then there's a summer where you're harvesting and then there's the fall where you're refining. And then there's a summer where it's dying and you're like literally like letting it all go and planting the next seeds that you're going to spring up on. And so I'm definitely in the winter of like stuff is dying. Like the old self is dying. I look at the 80% using the 80-20, like the 80% is your past self. Um, One of my favorite quotes that's not in the book, but it's that the system is designed to defend the system. Mm. And, and so like we, we, as human beings, we actually, we, we create systems to, um, to protect us, honestly, from, from dangers and stuff like that. And like the biggest system of all is our subconscious, which is our past self. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm deep in, in, uh, in the season of letting things go, but I would say one thing that's really different this time than my past seasons is that I'm not. Like I'm clear on many aspects of my future self, but in large part in the past, I would, I would drive from the present to the future. Whereas I've gotten a lot better at letting the future come to me rather than me going to the future. I'm letting the future come to me. And so, um, I'm, I'm stripping away a lot of the past self, a lot of that 80% and creating space. Like another great quote that, I mean, I learned so many, I learned way more about these books after they're gone, after it's over. But like, there's a quote from Aristotle where he said that, um, he said that nature abhors a vacuum. And so like, if you have an empty plot of dirt, like it's not just going to stay empty, like weeds are going to grow. And so, um, I'm creating a massive vacuum right now. And, and it's interesting to see what my subconscious is wanting to fill it with, um, but I'm also creating this insane vacuum and watching the David, which is my future self, like the David, the Michelangelo David, I'm watching the David come to me, which is really cool. I've done it in the past, but not at this scale. So like, I actually view the biggest leap of faith as letting go of the 80%. Like, and so I'm letting that go kind of like you with that $40 million business. That was a leap of faith. Um, So yeah, I'm just creating that space right now. And 
I'm really happy with it. One thing that I will say is, is that we do feel like it's a loss, but I actually see it as a gain. Like you're actually letting go of something that was the past so that you're creating that space for something much better. So I actually see it as, as massive progress and a beautiful gain whenever you're letting go of something that no longer resonates. Yeah. I I love that. Uh, this is a wonderful reframe. Um, you know, I teach salespeople that you, you can reframe or you can relens and a, a reframe is to change the meaning of something. And a new lens is to change the perspective of something. But one thing you do really well, dude, like really <laughs> well, is I am fascinated by the stories you find <laughs> in putting these books because uh, they changed my lens. Like when you're telling the story about, um, I don't know, it was like a transport company for uh, oh yeah, trains or something. You remember that? Story? Yeah, that was a construction transport company where they they move like huge construction parts. Yeah, I was like, dude, I'm playing so small because I won't sacrifice revenue systems or revenue streams. Uh, but man, how do you like for me, the hardest part is I have a lot of um, I don't know if you deal with this at all, but what what people think about me still matters for for some like I'm still working through sometimes that's that probably replay. part of the 80 percent. Yeah, that's part of your hidden commitments. That's your subconscious. How do you deal with that? Like, how, how do you give me the easy the easy button? <laughs> give me the supplement. So I would say that the two supplements for that, one is, is catching your, catching your hidden commitments. So Robert Keegan calls them hidden commitments. Your hidden commitments are the things that drive your behavior. They're what drive your 80%. So like, there's a reason why, um, you know, why I do the things I do. And a lot of it may be actually stuck in the past. Um, and so when you, when you actually just observe your own behavior and you're like, then reverse engineer it. Why the heck did I do that? You know, like, why did I go and just eat a bunch of sugar? Whatever it is, it does not really matter what it is, but then say like, what is the thing about my past that enables me to continue? So that, that's, it's just catching the hidden commitments and I'm getting better and better at catching those. But in terms of kind of the, uh, the letting go of what people think, I think that the two things that really helped me on that is, is one is the gap in the gain, which Dan and I wrote, which is us, honestly, I'm just measuring my own progress backwards. Like if I look at my May, I'm freaking stoked about it. Like I had a huge May. I learned a lot. I'm not the same person as I was when May started. And I'm just always viewing my current self versus my past self. And I'm always seeing that I'm not the same guy, even who I was two days ago. Like I'm, I, I can see that I'm, I'm different and I would do things differently. Actually, you know, even yesterday, you know, I, I got super mad at my older two kids and luckily I went and apologized to them, you know, and I'm, I'm learning to like yeah. apologize faster, yeah. but also, and so, so here's kind of the crazy thing. I'm just going to give you a quick model. So the typical way of looking at time is, is that the past drives the present and the present drives the future. So time moves forward. Mm -hmm. I much prefer to let the future drive the present and the present to drive the past. So the future drives the present. What I mean by that is I get connected to my future self and then I let the future determine who I am in the present. And if I'm getting more and more connected to my future, then it really doesn't matter what anyone around me is doing because my future is my own and my future self's calling the shots. Yeah. And my future, my future self is super unique, just like yours is super unique. Um, and it's very personal to me and there's really no competition against my future self because my future self is just me. And so that's really what matters. Um, yeah. and so like being really connected to my future self helps me to not worry about what people think. Um, and then honestly, just, uh, continually viewing my own progress. Those two things really help me to stop worrying about what people think. That's brilliant. So the future drives the present. And the present, the present drives, drives the past. So that reminds me of a, of a quote. I think this might be from the recent book. The stories of our lives, far from being fixed narratives, are under constant revision. Um, 
Do you consciously? Dude, you're deep in the well, man. That's personalities and permanent. You're deep in. Oh, I see, maybe, I I, maybe I threw maybe I threw that one in there, but you're deep in the well now, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm thinking <laughs> it and I'm, I've put it out there. Do you do that consciously, or or yes. does that happen every day, every week? So I'll give you a different quote, and it's one that I've honestly thrown in probably three or four of the books, but it comes from a guy named Brent Slife. Brent Slife is a theoretical psychologist and honestly one of the coolest people I've ever met. But he, what's his name? Brent Slife. He okay. he writes very philosophical, very theoretical, deep psychology books. But you would like his book called Time and Psychological Explanation. It is a thick read, but uh, it is a mind bend. But basically, one of the things he talks about is, is that it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past causes the meaning of the present. And so rather than viewing time as the past is driving the present, it's actually the present that's reshaping the past over and over and over again. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that you can definitely do that consciously. Um, like even me, as an example, you and I talking right here and right now about yesterday, about me yelling at my kids. Mm-hmm. We can actually sit and I can I can actually learn more about that experience right now with you and I can, I can, I can continually reframe it. Certainly I can give compassion and empathy towards my past self i can um be honest about where i was at and but but also uh i mean i can just continually reshape the meaning of that full experience over and over and over again if i want to and get more out of it how i look at it as is you want your past to be an asset not a liability if your past is a liability then it's draining your present and your future and you're actually letting the past be the filter through which you're moving into the present and the future. But if you're making your past an asset, then your present and your future are always getting better because of it. It continues to pay you dividends because you had that experience. And I always view it that way. Every time I have an experience, I'm going to go back and just turn it into an asset. Even if it flopped or it went wrong or like I just bombed it, like I might as well turn it into an asset. Yeah. That's, and that's probably how you handle failure or perceived failure as well. You just turn it into a lesson or something. Yeah. It's, it's just anti-fragile. Positive. I just love anti-fragile, man. It's just like, no matter what happens, I'll, I'll get better. Yeah, or at least I'll try to. A, an epic tome as well. Dude, so thick I've book. listened to that book like three times this year. I mean, I've listened, yeah. I, I listened to it like five years ago, but like that's on my like, that's on my like repeat list right now. You know, another book you should pick up is, um, I just found it. It's called Wanting. Uh, it's about mimetic mm. desire. Oh, actually, I have that book, um, but I haven't listened to it. And I'm all about like, mimetics. I'm all about mimetic, that stuff. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is scary and terrifying. How much <laughs> what I want is just, I don't even Shaped know. Where by it comes the outside from. world. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And what other people want is the drives jealousy. It drives like all of the negative sides of drive that we have, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, Funny story on the on the kids. So you have six kids. So you're yeah, a crazy man. person. I have I have two. Um, and I was getting onto my daughter, who's four. Uh, she was chasing a kid around at a party and being a bully, and I had to get onto her. And uh, afterwards, we get home, and I, I'm like, "What did you learn? You know, and you need to apologize for having a bad attitude." So, what did you learn? And she looks at me. She says, "I forgive you." I said, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> what did you learn?" It was like already at a four-year-old, she's already reframing situations <laughs> in her in her benefit. <laughs> Typical salesperson. Uh, are you gonna have more kids? Like, what's the deal here? It's oh no, I cannot believe it. It's insane. No, no, we basically adopted. So in 2018, which happened to be the year that Willpower Doesn't Work came out, wh- right when that book came out, so many gnarly things were happening in my life. So I got I almost got kicked out of my PhD program at that time because I wrote online that I was already a psychologist. And like some people are really intense that you can't say you're a psychologist mm-hmm. until you actually have the PhD. And so my advisor was like, you're out. This was right at the beginning of 2018. In February, we adopt our three older kids. 
So that was after three years of battling the foster system. So we got granted adoption. So that's February 2018. March 2018, Willpower Doesn't Work comes out, my first book, and I'm stressing out. Also that month, in vitro works. It hadn't worked before. And now Lauren's pregnant with twins. And we're like, oh, wow. crap, we're pregnant. Month after, and which is cliche, right? A month after we adopted, she got pregnant with twins. Those twins were born in December of 2018. So we went from zero to five, technically, in 2018. That's also when we moved to Florida because we could leave South Carolina, technically, because now we... Now they're not foster kids who are owned by the state. Now we have yeah. them and we can leave. And my wife's a big Disney buff. So we moved here. And so we had five kids. We moved here to Florida, these two little twin girls. And then like a year or two went by. And uh, I was kind of just like, are we going to have more kids or should I, should we just like move on from this? So I don't have to think about it. And can we move on to the next phase? And she got pregnant naturally. And so we had our little boy. And then I, then I went and, you know, got the vasectomy. So I'm enough done. Enough is enough. And enough is plenty. Trust me. I'm, I'm done and I'm getting aged fast, man. Yeah. It's crazy how they change your priorities though. You know, big time. I always, uh, they're awesome. I do make fun. I'm prone to making fun of the productivity advice of single people, not single people, but people without kids. Cause man, when you have kids, you can't practice any of that productivity stuff. It changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, uh, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I agree with you fully. <laughs> Are you in your home office? Is that where you do most of your writing? Yeah. Yeah. So I have, you know, well, well there's some empty shelves up there, but um, yeah. So this is the second house in my neighborhood. And, and so I just walk around. I'm I've, I've shifted. Uh, I used to go to the gym every morning, but now I honestly just walk. And so I'll, I'll go to the gym like once a week. Um, but uh, yeah, I just walk and yeah, I have this place for filming and for writing. Nice. How do you come up with your best ideas? You said you're kind of, you know what you want to write about next. I'm assuming you're percolating on, on what you want to do is, is it just through walking and do you have a notebook? You write things down, like just tactical for a minute. What, what's your, yeah, totally. your... I mean, I'm always, I mean, I've drawn and written things down from what you've said in this call. Um, yeah, I'm always, uh, it, it's kind of a few things. Sometimes it's stuff that like, like with 10 X that I really want to like learn more about. Like, I really want to learn more about this or I really want to get better at this. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it's kind of like my future self calling. Like, this is what I want to get better at. This is what I want to better understand and, and teach and share that I think is really important and timely. Um, and then trying to make it more timeless. But um, yeah, so I'll, a lot of it's honestly just relevant to what I'm going through in the time and also where I'm trying to go. And so, yeah. um, you know, the book I'm, I've been thinking about writing and procrastinating is called how to stretch time. And it's, it's really about, it's not about productivity or time management at all. It's really about literally like time relativity and like literally stretching yeah. out time and having deeper, uh, experiences and, and, and experiencing more. And for example, like a day than maybe it would be normal in a year or a decade. And so, um, but I, I'm, I've been holding off cause I'm like, is this even useful to write right now? Um, yeah. so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always just thinking through things. Let's talk about that because uh, you can come up with some cool <laughs> stuff. Because um, I've studied this a lot when when everyone wants to scale right now, like everyone. and uh, But there's so many different identity bottlenecks you, you have to go through to scale. So one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is scale is simply the compression of time. That's all it is. Like you collapse things down. So if you want to do a million dollars in a year and then go to $10 million in a year, you just have to do the same amount of money 
That's all you got to do. It's just a million dollars, but you're doing it in 30 days instead of 365 days. It's like compression down. And people yeah. tend to have an easier way of thinking about that. And I don't know if it's because they're not having to change their identity. It's the same number. Or if it's just a weird mental loop. But I don't know if that's what you're talking about when it comes to stretching time. Because there's this, there's this slipstream we all get into. And I found it's extremely uncomfortable when you're in like a momentum pocket. Because it almost creates a distortion field. Have you studied Steve Jobs and like his leadership style and his distortion fields? No, I want to hear about it. So he had, they call it his, the, the jobs distortion field because he would just be like, <laughs> uh, that's not good enough. That's not fast enough. That's not simple <laughs> enough. Bill Gates had it. So I'll never forget. I was listening to, uh, the Bill Gates autobiography and I think it was Buffett who got into his car and he's like, somebody broke into your car. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, the stereo is gone. And Bill's like, no, I ripped the stereo out. He's like, why would you rip the stereo out? He's like, well, I drive to the office and I drive home and it's 20 minutes a day. Then I'll drive to the airport and it's like four hours a week. And if the radio is there, I'm going to listen to the radio. So I just ripped it out so that I can use that time to think about Microsoft. It's like, these people are crazy, dude. Like Elon, freaking crazy. Uh, And it's this distortion field that they get into when they get into that slipstream where something that takes 10 years for someone else takes three minutes for them. And it makes everyone else supremely uncomfortable. And they're kind of jerks if you if you study them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah I think you can do it from a cleaner way. Like, I think there's better ways of leadership. But I think that these people, you know, I think that if you actually study them as they progress through their life, they actually do become more enlightened and they become mm-hmm. more emotionally developed. Um, and, and they're in large part, their productivity doesn't actually decrease their results increase over time. Um, but they're not, they don't, they don't have to be so forceful. It's kind of like David Hawkins power versus force. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? And I think that yep. like, that's a general progression, especially that really ambition people go through where they reach kind of places of love and peace and harmony. And, and then it changes how they do things. And, and, in a lot, large part, things really blossom when they do it that way. Yeah. I wonder, I do wonder if they would have ever made it. If they were at that place earlier. Yeah. Yeah, It's a really good point. It's a really good point. Because when you look back, I think some of it like is almost causal. Like it's the cause of their growth is their aggression. Yeah. To an extent. And then they get into an enlightened place and then they go through a different phase of stuff. Yeah. They go through the, the levels of energy. Yeah, they go into 300, 600. Um, I think it's Frederick. <laughs> Do you know Levels of Energy, the book? Uh, Frederick no. something. So it's really good. It's bas- it's um, it's kind of a uh, maybe a derivative of power versus force, um, but it's a different guy entirely. And he he basically is like his his hypothesis. You can't really jump levels, so you can't go from the Hawkins, you know, one hundred to seven hundred. You have to go from one hundred to three hundred to three hundred to six hundred. So we'll go on these uh, tours and he'll be speaking. He's like, I can tell that the room, the lowest level tolerable is apathy because underneath apathy is the realm of negative energy. And the only way that I can get these people to care is to make them angry because they have to go into (laughs) anger and then they go through fear and then they jump and jump. So he's like, I'll just go into the room and I'll piss them all off. And now it's like, now they're paying attention. It's a really interesting thing of like, do you have to Like taking him one step at a time. 100%. 100%. Like, would, would Elon be where he's at if he wasn't, to some degrees, a psychopath earlier on? I don't know. 
Who knows? It's a really good point. I mean, I'm happy with what he's created and I'm sure he is too, but I also know that where he's at right now, he wouldn't go, he wouldn't do things the same way he did before. So he wouldn't have made the companies he did if he was who he was now planted in his past. Yeah. Who knows what the crap he would do? I mean, that would be a really funny experiment, you know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I actually have, if you don't mind, and we'll go wherever you want, but I, I actually do want to know what happened to the $40 million company and what happened since, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, so um, I brought in a different CEO uh, for that oh, brand. So you, so you, so so they're they're still running it essentially, but you're not in it in the day. They ran day. it Is that for how it works? about six. They ran it for six months and then they turned it. They they took some staff and some products from it and then shut the doors of the company. Um, Sold it or just turned it down? Like shut it down. it down? Completely shut it down. And took what the, is what's what happened to you? I just started new things. So I learned. Did a you lot sell through. it? Did you sell it and walk away, or did you just walk away and have uh, nothing? I kept I kept a portion of the list and some of the IP and those things. Okay. But you know what I learned through that process is how much of that business was built off of just me. And so we got it professionally uh, appraised at 69 million, 68 million, somewhere around there. Um, and and it was like, we're like, we're gonna sell this thing for hundred million. We'll just grow it. But buyers and prospective buyers came in and there and anytime my face showed up somewhere, we got deducted. And it, it literally discounted the brand down to almost nothing. I mean, it was it was under ten million bucks. So I was like, well, I have to rebuild the whole thing. Essentially, um, it's doing really well, but it's not worth anything because it's me driving a lot of the the IP and the products and the curriculum. So I was like, you know, I don't want to. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to. Uh, I talked to a good friend of mine, and he was like, man, if it if you wake up every day and you're not excited about it, it's just not worth it. You know, and then I read your book and I was like, okay, everything's telling me the same thing. Uh, so I brought a different CEO in and yeah, he ran it for six or seven months, but then took the customer, took the customer base somewhere else. And he was like, I just don't want to run it anymore. So it was really, uh, it was uncomfortable for me. Cause I was like, I built this thing over seven years and now it's just gone. You know, uh, um, so where do you, but, where are you sitting with it now? I am grateful for the lessons. I have I have put the past under constant revision. Um and I'm I'm grateful that I learned what I learned because now I know like what I'm building now is has enterprise value. Um money money for me is just like I was a snap and it's created. It's not a I haven't ever struggled with it. Um so we built a new thing and it's doing really well and you know it'll hit eight figures this year in its first full year. Um and so it's phenomenal but I don't think I would have been able to do that. And this goes back to the prior point about like, you have to go through the levels. I don't think I would have been able to build what I built this fast if I wouldn't have done what I did with the old companies. And ultimately, if they wouldn't have cratered when I left. Because you don't learn how to build something durable uh, until something crashes around you. Sometimes that's what it takes to learn all the lessons. So Yeah, I have some friends who, and I'm not going to name any names, but I've got some friends who... Uh, deep friends who that's what they're going through right now is certain things cratering. <laughs> it's yep. Like when it's pretty interesting, when everything is built off of one, you know, you have concentration risk inside of businesses. And um, we had a lot of concentration risk, not only around me, but around our advertising platforms. And so everything was driven through one main platform, which is Facebook. And when you look at what Apple did to Facebook, everyone's stuff blew up. So that was rough. Um, I went through a lot of compliance and regulatory issues because nobody, when you, when you like 
grow something from sales mentor was one of the companies inside of that portfolio. And, um, then inbound closer, we, you know, the freelancer sites where you can like, like even Fiverr and whatever we put inbound closer on those sites. We sold so many products because 55,000 sales professionals that we train over an 18 month period. Uh, when, when you grow that fast, you just like, everybody starts paying attention to you, which is not always a good thing because it's like, we didn't really know, like, what are we allowed to say? What are we not allowed to say? So it was a great experience. And, um, I don't know, like if there's a, there's a story in the Bible about, uh, David, King David, and he's fighting lions and he's fighting bears and he's trying to keep them out of, you know, the, the sheep pen or whatever. And sometimes you go through that and it's to prepare you for the real threat, which was Goliath. And it's like, he wasn't ever going to die from the lion. The bear wasn't going to kill him. He didn't know that. But if he wouldn't have learned how to do battle with the bear, Goliath could have killed him easily. So I see it as like one of those things where it's like, and I had to go through it. And sometimes the only way through is just to buckle up and go through it. But I do have some trauma around it. And I'm sort of working through that. Um, you mentioned like the first book, having some trauma. It's very interesting how there's trauma sometimes in my body. Those, I'll be good yeah. and I'll wake up one day and I'm like, what's going to break today? And so that's interesting. Like, I don't know if you have any tools or anything to deal with that besides cold plunges. Which cold plunges are great. Do you do that? I do. Yeah. Do you have a cold yeah, plunge at your house? I just ordered one. Um, I've been going to the, to the gym, so I've been able to do it for a couple months. Um, that's awesome. But I've, I've heard there's like, um, you know, that book, the body keeps the score talks about like physical, um, I don't remember the term for it can kind of, they call it like somatic, yeah. right? The body. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think we all have that. And, um, um, I mean, I think it's good to, to be aware of, um, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm doing a lot of walking, a lot of recovery, similar to you. Um, Mm-hmm. cold plunges, uh, massages, but uh, or, or not massages, sorry, um, hot tub. But uh, when I, when you talk about it and when you open it up, I mean, it's really actually just emotion that's there. There's actually a really good book called The Great Pain Deception. Have you ever heard of that one? Nope. I'm the Great Pain Deception is all about how physical pain like that. And I'm not saying you've got, but like it's honestly suppressed emotion. Mm. And um, when you start opening yourself up and talking about it and just like, releasing it the physical the the body starts to heal so it's honestly it's good to actually just recognize like if someone has like ongoing back pain it's like actually that's just how how he talks about it in that book and it's based on a lot of research from a guy named john sarno but he talks just about how your body is distracting you from your emotions and so if you actually just acknowledge that it's an emotional problem then the body is going to take care of itself interesting yeah, emotions are a tricky one because some people are like just ignore them, but they're kind of uh, messages. They seem to be like if I if you just ignore them, they tend to just become obnoxious. At least I've heard it experience. said that they're body wisdom. Yeah, I think that emotional development and spiritual development are very connected concepts. And yeah. so you know, if you grow as a, and emotionally, you're going to be a lot more free from your past. You're going to be a lot easier to let things go quicker, and you're also going to be able to adapt faster to whatever growth curve you're going up. Yeah. Do you read Morgan Housel at all? Uh, I don't read his blogs, but I've read his book. So his book is phenomenal, I think, and uh, his I new agree. one that's coming out is is probably going to be good. But he says something interesting 
about how um, it's actually regression that we fear the most. And so like going from zero dollars to four million dollars feels unbelievable. But going from forty million dollars to ten million dollars, you feel like you're physically dying. And so that was the first time I had experienced that of like, you know, resetting from this big, you know, empire uh, to something small that does five or six million dollars a year. I was like, what in the world? Like, I am literally going <laughs> broke. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna. <laughs> uh, and it's like, dude, you, you do five million, six million bucks, you're gonna be fine. But it's just that principle of like, man, the body hates regression. Like the mind hates regression. It feels like going backwards. But I was at the gym and you know, I go to the gym and talk to God. Like that's partially where I, some people go to the gym and work out. I just go to the gym, sit on a bench press and like have prayer time. And uh, I feel like God very clearly was like, you know, I got to reset you. And sometimes resetting feels like reversing because you're on the wrong track here. And for me, resetting that though in. is a great correction, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, you know, getting a chiropractic adjustment, it's like, you got to put it back before it can go where it needs to go. So that's what last year was for me. Now I'll never forget it. This is the best lesson that I've ever learned inside. Have you ever of read, uh, have you ever read peaks and valleys? Yeah, it's great. That's how I look at it is like lessons are repeated until they're learned, but often it's the, the valleys that cause the greatest lessons. And, yep. and, and, and you, and, and people think that the Valley means you're going backwards, but it's always going forward. Like you're actually going forward. And so you going from 40 to 10, as much as that feels like it's going backwards was massive forward movement for you. Just like letting go of the 80% for me is actually massive gain, not loss. Yeah. Yeah. That the peaks and valleys, he also talks about timing, uh, in the valleys and how sometimes the time duration of the Valley is up to you. And it reminds me of, there's a John Maxwell quote, um, and he says, how, how you handle failure determines how long it will be until you win again. And I was like, well, that's interesting. That means that we all need to learn how to lose or else we're on this perpetual repeat of past losses, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I love the whole concept. Lessons are repeated until they're learned. All progress starts by telling the truth. Um, you know, every time you, it's like a hero's journey. Every time you go from one level to another, you have exams, you have tests, you have lessons, and they're going to just purge out all the components so that when you get to the next level, you don't have to carry any of that stuff with you. And like, every time you do that, every time you go to up to a new level, it's like you can vault so much faster and higher because you're not carrying any of that stuff with you or that ignorance. Yeah. It's funny talking to you. Cause like what I did is I just did an 80% cut. I just didn't know that's what was happening. Like, I didn't know that that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, you let go of your 80%. Yeah, it's totally what happened. Like I just cut all of that out. Um, but because I wasn't aware of the principle is why the book is so good for people. It's why I'm sending it to everyone. If you know cognitively, this is strategic and it's not happening to you. You're doing it to move forward. That's probably a huge piece of dealing with the regression feeling, you know? Yeah, to me it is. Like when you were when you were just talking about that Morgan household concept, um, that's how I feel about it. Is I feel like <clears throat> That regression isn't actually a moving backwards. It's a moving forward, but that's just, <laughs> that may be a coping mechanism. But for me, it's like, I'm, I'm being required to learn from this and it's going to either make me anti-fragile or it's going to break me. I've just dealt with so much trauma and even just watching my own kids that it's like, I already know, even as an example with my older three kids, either their past is going to propel them to beautiful places or it's going to break them. And so Whenever something is going down, and that's like to the whole anti-fragile component of volatility can either make you more fragile or or, or better. Yep. Um, 
I just assume that if something's going rough, I'm getting better and that I'm going to learn and absorb a lot from it. And so uh, I always look at it as going forward, always. I'm like, this is exactly what I need. This is, <laughs> this is happening for yeah, me, dude. not to me. Like, this is exactly what I need. And I just let the purging process happen as fast as possible. Have you read um, The Expectation Effect? No, but I've heard it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. And it reminds me almost of the upside of stress in certain areas. Because mm-hmm. essentially, stress will do to you whatever you expect it to do to you, to an extent. Yeah. Um, but man, your expect your expectations seem to be very. You take great care to make sure you're expecting the right thing, which is always producing the right outcome. Yeah, uh, some people even call it segment intending, which is just like, what do I want to get out of this? Yeah, but I think that there's an openness to. Um, I'm a, I, I'm a lot more open than I used to be to surprise. I think in the past I was very. Like I overly, I I mean, I shaped the filter and I'm like, and I got what I wanted out of experiences, but now I'm opening myself up more to like, there's a lot of things that I can't even plan for, but yeah, I'm, I'm very thoughtful about the expectation effect. I mean, there's a, in the gap in the gain, I wrote a lot of research that's similar in that realm. Like there's a really famous uh, study called the like mindsets or milkshakes study. And basically it just showed that like, if you believe something's going to make you fat, like, like literally it's going to change how your body digests it. Like, and they right. gave the same milkshake to two different groups of people. And one of them, they said it was a healthy milkshake, like 120 oh, calories. Right. Another. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, they gave, they, what they did is they took milkshakes and they put false labels on them. Same milkshake, 350 calories. But one of them, they said it's a healthy milkshake, like 180 calories. The other one, they said totally indulgent, 800 calories. And then they <laughs> tested their blood and they, and they, they had them do a blood test before. They had then they, so they took, took a blood test pre milkshake and then they said, all right, here's the milkshake you're going to eat, you know, and both groups got different ones. So like group A is like, all right, this is a super healthy milkshake. It's only like 160, 180 calories. It's actually healthy. It's got nutrition in it. And so they're like, okay. And so then they tested their blood after them, even just kind of knowing what they were going to do. And then the person drank the milkshake. The other group, by the way, was like, this is same, same milkshake, but they're like, this is a super self-indulgent milkshake, 700 calories or something like that totally loaded with sugar and fat. And and the people were like, all right, cool, whatever. But they tested their blood afterward. And um, there's like a peptide or something like that called ghrelin, which determines how hungry you are. And the people who took the mask, like the shake that was in their mind, 700, 800 calories, they had like almost no ghrelin in their blood. Basically what it meant was is that their brain thought that they were really full. Whereas the people who thought that they consumed the shake that was like 120 calories, they didn't have, they had a lot of, um, they had a lot of ghrelin in their blood, meaning like their brain thought that they were still really hungry. And so like, wow. they've done all sorts of studies on this, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. I agree with it, that our perception shapes our biology. I think they call that epigenetics, but it's just very uh-huh. interesting. You know, I, I gotta be aware of that. Cause I'm like, when I start to like, see like a gray hair or two or something like that pop out, I'm like, I am causing this upon myself. Like I'm, I'm telling myself I'm stressed. I'm, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm processing my own experiences in a much harder manner on my body than I need to because of how I'm choosing to frame it. Yep. Yep. Dude, there's another uh, fascinating study that actually probably connects with um, your future self. It's called the Psy Heart Experiment. Have Never you heard, heard of, of it. This? No. So it's uh, it, it was a trial where people were undergoing heart surgery. This is from the expectation effect. And they took a subset and they had them do three short telephone calls um, that described what their... Uh, desired experience would be and somebody that they would connect with after and then what they expected uh, their condition to be six months after 
the the experiment or the surgery. And the people who went through it that, that went through this experiment, it goes back to perfectly what you're talking about, connecting to your future. And that's how your, you know, your, your meaning comes from that. Um, you know, they left the, the hospital like two and a half months earlier. They had fewer complications after the fact, completely randomized. And so they rolled this trial out across a lot of hospitals. And it's that the principle of like, go ahead and set up your expectation beforehand, but also connecting it in with your future it's such a powerful concept that changes us biologically, which is wild. Yeah. Yeah. They say that perception takes experience and it turns it into biology. And so the crazy part about Man. that is, is that we actually can choose the lens of our experience and we can convert, ex- we can convert any experience. Like I, I can convert me getting in a car and driving to some random spot. I can convert that experience into becoming more like my desired future self or something else. Like literally, I mean, yes, the input matters, but there's like input process output, but you get better and better at being the processor so that the input becomes less essential. I mean, obviously over time, oh, good. you, you, you know what I mean? Over time you yeah. do want better and better inputs in terms of more, more designed, you know, experiences, I guess you could say, but it is crazy. Like, think about it, your own self, who you are right now, your, you know, your experience and how you processed that experience brought you to that point. Yeah. And so if you think about your future self and if you start to really like map out and clarify that, then you can essentially take whatever experience you're going to have and convert it into you becoming that person. Genius. You're, so perception <laughs> converts experience, experience into, into biology. biology. That's, that's, that wow. is the field of epigenetics. Yeah, so your perception shapes experience into biology. Unbelievable. Well, uh, we could go down a rabbit hole on this, obviously. Um, but where can, uh, like p- people can find you, I'm assuming you have a YouTube, do you have like a, a webpage? We'll put everything into benjaminhardy.com benjaminhardy.com. That's cool. it. Cool. And, uh, you gonna offer any like pre-sales to like see the Google doc you're working on for the next book or only for you and your people. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Any, anytime I'll give you a terrible draft. And if you want your opinion, and if you want to give your opinion on it, if anyone wants to read it, you guys, anyone who hears this, uh, I'll send it, I'll send it to you and you can, you have free access to share it out. <laughs> Amazing, dude. Amazing. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> phenomenal, man. The, your work has changed my life. And as a, as a byproduct of that, it's changed millions and millions of people. And so, man, thank you for powering through 2018 and 2019. Dude, thanks for continuing on writing when your first book didn't, uh, hit the New York times bestseller. I'm grateful that you kept going. So I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad it didn't. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the best forms of learning you can get is, is that certain goals are trash. Like, honestly, like there, well, but they were the goal of my past self. I'm totally cool with that, but it has no meaning to my, my current self. And a lot of the things I'm probably putting so much meaning on have no meaning to my future self. Um, you know, not no, but like, yep. yeah, I mean, I, I actually think it's kind of interesting now when like someone highly celebrates that accolade. Cause, um, I know so many New York Times bestselling books that like literally aren't that great, but also more than that, like they, they're not even like selling copies and like making a difference. Um, and so it is funny how your views change on things. That's why the present shapes the meaning of the past. Yep. And um, so, yeah, there's more worthy goals. That's for sure. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Well, dude, thanks for making the time again. And uh, I can't wait to see you continue to change the world. Hey, Amen. You too. Talk to you guys later.